This is Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and in this episode, we're reviewing High Ground, plus all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Tim Ifland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies, and this week, another Australian film, High Ground. A quality Australian film. Set against the stunning landscapes of 1930s Arnhem Land, High Ground follows the struggle of young Aboriginal men, Duke, trying to save the last of his family from being massacred. He teams up with ex-soldier Travis to track down Baywara, the most dangerous warrior in the territory, who is also his uncle. And as Travis and Gutuk journey through the outback, they begin to earn each other's trust. But the truths of Travis's past actions have already set devastating events in motion. Quite an extraordinary story which we'll mm. unpack throughout this episode. High Ground is directed by Stephen Johnson and has a screenplay by Chris Anastasiadis. High Ground stars Simon Baker, Jacob Jr. Nayangul as Gatuk, Sean Manungur as Baywara, Wittiana Marika as Grandfather Darpa, Esmeralda Marimawa as Gulwuri, as well as Jack Thompson, Callan Mulvey, Karen Pistorius and Ryan Kaur. Quite an Australian cast there. And some really interesting and very appropriate and required casting to really represent the Indigenous culture and the important messages that this film is trying to get across. Now, really interestingly, and I think this is probably the most important thing that we will call out as part of the review for this film is that High Ground was produced in conjunction with the traditional owners of the land, including senior cultural advisor of the film, Witayana Marika. Witayana is a respected elder and the co-founder of Yothu Yindi. He negotiated the complex cultural elements and relationships between the different indigenous clans who came together to work on various lands for this film production. And as you said, that's a really, really important aspect of this film. It's a culturally sensitive way of telling the story without turning away from confronting aspects of Australian history. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't mind me saying, you know, as uh, Lee and I, as white people, we are simply, in my opinion, vessels for this kind of story, which are ultimately underrepresented in Australian cinema, and I guess more broadly as Indigenous stories around the globe. So it's fantastic and so important to call out those um, measures taken to do this right, to tell this story right, and to involve the original custodians of the Northern Territory land in which Mm. this film takes place. It's worth noting that Stephen Johnson, the director, is a long-time collaborator with the co-creators of Yothu Yindi. So he knows what he's talking about. He knows how to bring that culturally sensitive aspects into a production and is very aware of doing that. I think what's really beautiful is that collaboration with the communities and that relationship in order to tell that story authentically through the lens of the powerful medium of cinema and this film was certainly really powerful very confronting but certainly powerful in its message and how it portrayed it right yeah when you say powerful can we just call out the cinematography for a moment yes cinematography is by andrew commerce who did baby teeth another film that we've reviewed recently now it takes great Mm. skill to be able to work with natural light in cinema especially the harsh australian sunlight and the weather that can be so unpredictable Mm. down here so it's no mean feat and incredibly impressive to see the sweeping shots of Australia in this film. Yeah, this is another Australian film where the land plays a crucial part in the story and impacts greatly 
on the story and positioning a certain tone. And it really encapsulates the wildness of the North, Mm. the wildness of our Australian landscape. And you're so right, those challenges in capturing the light, positioning actors and trying to communicate a very complex narrative and cultural understanding of what's happening within the actual real landscape and telling it in such a poetic way uh, is no mean feat. So incredible work from Andrew, the DOP. Stylistically within that, it had a Western feel to it, didn't it? It was a bit of a Western frontier movie. Yeah, I got Western vibes from Simon Baker, mm. the cowboy hat. A bit of a Clint Eastwood feel. Yes, that I was trying to figure <laughs> out who he reminded me of most. And I think you've nailed it with Clint Eastwood. Very brooding. Maybe that's the wrong word. How else would you describe his portrayal here? He was quite quite a broken. Rough and weathered. Mm, rough and weathered. But he had a lot of demons, right, to, mm. that he'd carried throughout the decades. Um as a soldier. One thing I really have to call out and I'm really curious about what you thought about this framing technique Mm -hmm. was the framing of the shots through the crosshairs of the guns throughout. What did you think of that? Because Simon Baker's character was a sniper, I think it... It wanted to position you as the audience from his vantage point and mainly how he saw the world because Mm. there's a lot of dialogue between his character and Guttuk as they uh, develop some sort of relationship on their journey through, through Arnhem Land is that he was educating him about the world of a sniper and how you position yourself and what you can see and I think yeah that framing was really interesting but it was telling the story of of Simon Baker's character more than anything I think and a unique vantage point to see the world how did you interpret that I almost saw it as a metaphor for how a lot of colonists at the time viewed indigenous people Ah. so like as prey or animals always through the crosshairs I thought that was so powerful and an amazing technique yeah as you've said that i've got chills because i'm just taking myself back to my experience in the cinema watching this and that is such a powerful way of uh, interpreting that creative choice let's talk about the story a little bit it's quite a harrowing story and one that is enmeshed in australian history and probably often not talked about yeah it offers a real harsh truth on the genocide of our indigenous peoples here in australia and the struggle of power and it highlights that kind of missed opportunity between the two cultures Mm. and the story really leans into themes of isolation, connection, danger and vastness, all these kind of areas that you experience through the cinematography but then ultimately this story of all these um, white people versus the the Indigenous Mm. peoples. It's funny you should say versus because the perspective of the Mm. story is split between the Indigenous community and the white settlers for a lot of the time which is a tricky balance to pull off. You know, normally you want to take one vantage point or the other, but I think that just highlights the opposing and destructive perspective that continued long after this period in time, that it was always one side versus the other. Yeah, absolutely. It it really, I guess, encapsulates the notion that it was a very dark time for our culture and our country. Mm. And it challenges the accepted notions of Australian settlement, right? Did you feel that as well? And that's the aim, I think, definitely. Mm. It's very successful in that. One thing I had a hard time with, and I'm curious to know what you thought, mm-hmm. is I had a hard time grasping the reasoning behind sending a defected soldier after a dangerous man and why Travis would agree to go after what he'd seen in the beginning. I found that logic and that motivation, there was a disconnect there for me. What did you think? Yeah, interesting that you call that out because one of the things with this story for me was that 
there was like it was a simple story, but it had quite a lot of complexity behind it, be it the mm. motivations of the characters and the decisions that were made. And some of it didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I'm on the same page as you. It jumped a lot. Yes. Did you find that? Yeah. And I think that it was potentially intentional to show how messy this dialogue and this lack of respect between the white people and the Indigenous culture and just how there was just chaos ensued around this uh, violence and this discourse and this misinterpretation of culture and respect, lack of respect between people. But I think the jarringness, now this is my interpretation, Mm -hmm. I felt like the spatial awareness was a little bit all over the place and it contributed to the complex narrative that made it, for me, a little bit hard to follow at times. Tell me what you mean by spatial awareness. Okay, so in one of the opening scenes for the massacre, Simon Baker was the sniper on top of the mountain, right? Mm. And then to me it felt like almost instantly, without a real sense of time passing, he was down on the ground where everyone else was. Right. And I found that like, hold on a minute, did he fly? Did he jump? (laughs) Was there a parachute I missed (laughs) as a deleted scene? Right? That's one of your biggest bugbears is spatial awareness, definitely. Yes. I mean, look, sign me up. This is a bit of a digression, but sign me up for a car chase in an action movie. But if I've been to a city like Paris and they're driving and they're turning left and there's the Eiffel Tower, then they turn right and there's the Arc de Triomphe. Like, I know that's not real (laughs) and it really displaces me and that suspension of belief. And despite that overzealous headline, I feel like the inability to communicate to the audience the vastness of the land and the time it took to get places, they seem to just arrive and change all these different like layers of the landscape far mm. too conveniently and quickly, and I found that a little bit jarring. Did you sense that as well? To me, it was the dialogue that was a little bit jarring. But oh, yeah, the okay. jumping around did pull me out of it a little bit. But the dialogue felt forced to me in places, especially during the climactic standoff. Now, we mentioned mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood before. I half mm-hmm. expected Jack Thompson's character to come out with some make my day line. It, that, <laughs> it didn't quite feel right. Yeah, talk to me more about the dialogue, your position there. Did you think that characters were kind of communicating things that didn't align with their feelings or just a little cliched for me maybe and not all the way through like let me be Mm. clear it was simplistic and it worked most of the time but just in that really climactic standoff Mm. I think some of the lines could have been written a little better yeah or maybe didn't even need to be there maybe it was just the action maybe it was just the tension and what was going on in that moment that would just hold us look I think that they probably needed to lean more into the power of the visuals but they certainly did and very effectively Mm. but I think there's a lot of power in not saying anything and letting the visuals talk for you and that is very apparent in a story like this so I think maybe there was yeah a little bit of disbalance there and choices let's talk a little bit about the characters and the performances now we said Simon Baker as Travis obviously the indigenous cast were fantastic so authentic and I Mm. think that went a long long way in making this movie so successful Mm. a couple of the supporting characters I think we could have done without perhaps Karen Pistorius's character and Ryan Kaur as the missionaries yeah I mean they sort of tried to give Karen Pistorius a bit more of 
an emotional hook into the main character, but it wasn't there enough to pull me in. I kind of felt her relationship with Gutuk more than I did with Simon Baker's character. I don't know if you felt the same. Really? Well, that's what they were aiming for because she basically raised him. Yes, and she was that mother figure and I think she was kind of that um, position of... I felt like she portrayed more of a respectful position to the Indigenous peoples. But Mm. even still then, like, there's flawed characters left, right and centre in this film. So I don't think you're meant to really pull out certain moments and characters because I don't think that's really fair and makes a lot of sense in this film. But even so, Karen Pistorius' character, you say that she had a more respectful relationship with the Indigenous culture. But at that time... They were still trying to show them a better way of life and that their way of living was not good enough. That's so true. And I'm really glad you called me out on that because that is very apparent here and is really important to kind of um, make known. I guess maybe I kind of felt that she was coming to terms with the fact that she had done wrong, maybe, and that Mm. like her future was to offer more collaboration rather than inciting a particular cultural position. White people just weren't listening. There's just the, this lack of mm. respect was just palpable and uh, this story was so important. And we need more of these that so we kind of opened our review saying that about this film. So I'm really glad that we got the opportunity to see this. I know I crapped on the dialogue earlier, but (laughs) there is one piece of dialogue that I really want to call out that just really encapsulated this whole film and the issues with that era was Mm -hmm. Callan Mulvey's character as Ambrose screaming, you can't share a country. Mm -hmm. And that's where that whole terrible thought process that caused all these problems came from. Yeah, and that should incite rage in us, even in 2021, because unfortunately that is the position of a lot of people in this country and in other nations. And you should hear that line of dialogue and think, I can't believe they thought that back then. But what it meant to us even today is that that is still the position of people who live amongst us. And I think it was a very powerful line. So I agree. It's quite shocking that we take that out of the film, isn't it? It's shocking. It's really yeah. disgraceful, actually. Now, Jacob Jr. Nyangle, this is his first film. He played the lead role of, of Gutuk, and he was a, a wonderful character to follow throughout this film. He, he faces the challenges of a young man whose identity and link to his heritage are given a new life, even amongst all this violence and uh, disruption, and an opportunity for him to reconnect with his people and the land and to try and make sense of it all. I really enjoyed following mm. his journey to reconnect with his people. How about you? Absolutely. It's a fantastic cast, no question about it. Now, I know you want to talk about the the sound design here and how oh, powerful yes. that was used in, in this film. There was a lot of organic native sounds and traditional indigenous music. And again, that comes from Stephen Johnson, the director's experience Mm. with the Othulindi and the cultures. He grew up in the Northern Territory as well. Right. And it was just used to beautiful effect to really place you in that period and that time and give you that mindset. And it was combined with the stunning cinematography. It was Mm. just perfection. They worked hand in hand, didn't they? I think from my perspective and how I interpreted its use was that how I interpreted the use of sound design is that the soundscape ensured you felt less powerful than the force of nature that this film set itself in. Mm. 
And it certainly helped realize this and it offered an incredible amount of tension Mm. and married beautifully with the cinematography, like the sound of the reeds and the creaks and the Mm. cracks and stuff. It was a very immersive visceral sound design that um, I can't fault at all. Are you ready to uh, rate High Ground then? I might just jump in and close Mm. and say that I think this film is super important for Australians and anyone to watch and to listen and simply learn and be a vessel to encourage other people to acknowledge the violence that took place uh, at the beginning of our nation's history and to educate ourselves on that. The film neither condones or condemns much. It doesn't really offer a real definitive position on how you're meant to feel, but simply highlights a really dark time in our nation's culture and, mm. and as I said, challenges the accepted notions of Australian settlement that we all kind of have buried within us. So in light of that and the sound design, the cinematography, the beautiful performances, I'm going to rate high ground three and a half popcorn kernels. Well, even though I did say it jumps around and the dialogue could be a bit better in places, that shouldn't take away from the important messages about Australia's shameful past that the film Mm. is putting forward. It's confronting, yes, it will make you feel... But ultimately, it's a beautiful work of art and a reminder of the truth. And it's a way of sharing stories that need to be seen and haven't been seen enough on Australian screens. I'm going to give it four popcorn kernels. Love that wrap-up, Lee. That's beautiful encapsulation of the film. High Ground is in Australian cinemas now. So, let's get on to news, Tim. We got the first big trailer for Godzilla vs. Kong. The movie was brought forward to March 26 in Australia, which means we'll be getting it a week ahead of the US, nerny nerny, where it will debut on HBO Max (laughs) and in cinemas at the same time. What did you think of this trailer? Okay, fuck me, Dad. This is one of the (laughs) biggest trailers I've ever seen. I was kind of like dodging just action, 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 effects, action. Godzilla Kong. Tim's doing a Godzilla action right now. It looks like Godzilla waving his arms around. (laughs) Looks looks like I'm doing backstroke in my bedroom, actually. This is this terrible, my my stroke form is awful. I know what bugbear you had with this trailer because we did kind of mention it before. what, What was the biggest thing that upset you about this? They gave the whole damn movie away. <laughs> yes, Come on. I, know. I mean, I know we're desperate for films, but don't give it all away up front. Save some for the wedding night. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I mean, it's cut like it gives you everything that you want and deserve and so desire, but you kind of like my bag of popcorn's empty like I've had the snack Mm. there's no meal left like you said save some for the wedding night they're giving it all away it's a Mm, real issue with trailers these days and I felt the same about the other big trailer that we got this week another one for Raya and the Last Dragon that showed us the dragon voiced by Aquafina. okay I was feeling the same thing obviously the introduction of the last dragon must happen quite early on in the film and plays a pivotal role in their journey. Must, yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, I felt the same. I was like, okay, so there's no mystery about this last dragon. They're just kind of part of the adventure. She obviously found it. She found it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I felt that this new trailer added a lot more colour and context to the story. Mm. The first teaser trailer was really broody and used like music really well and kind of uh, gave a certain tone and aesthetic. But this trailer introduced you to a big supporting cast, including who's probably going to be my favourite 
supporting character of the years, the con baby, um, <laughs> who joined forces with Raya on a quest baby. to find the last dragon. <laughs> con baby. I know, brilliant. But what did you think about the portrayal of Aquafina as the last dragon? It was obviously is taking more of a comedic role, which I wasn't expecting. Well, it didn't go full Tiffany Haddish, so I'm okay with that. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started. Not a fan. No disrespect, but not a fan. <laughs> it's just too much sometimes. Well, when it comes to voice acting, anyway, she's actually quite a good actress on screen. Agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, it just gave too much away again. I mean, and, but the sound was really good again. I'm yes. really looking forward to the soundtrack for this film. Yeah, it seems like a another banger soundtrack for the year. Speaking of first looks, we got a first look at Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana in Spencer. Tell us what this film is going to focus on. So this film will centre on a December weekend in 1991 when Diana spends Christmas with the royals and decides to officially separate from Prince Charles, which historically was a pivotal moment Mm. within the royal family and set on this trajectory of how we all know Diana to live her separate life and do these incredible things in Mm. philanthropy. Yeah. Uh, What are your thoughts here? (laughs) You're hedging your bets to see what I think. (laughs) Yes, I am. I'm sure we'll agree though. Look, everybody is frothing about how good she looks and she looks fantastic. No doubt about it. I am still not convinced. Okay. I agree. She looks fantastic. But Kristen Stewart has a particular style of acting which works Mm. in a lot of her projects and it's very endearing we've recently seen her in happiest season and both agreed she was brilliant i think i'm just gonna sit tight and wait for a trailer before i cast any Mm. harsh judgments before i throw the first stone well where my skepticism is coming from is after the incredible performance that we just got from emma corrin in the crown Ah. phenomenal and it's gonna be really hard to live up to that now I mean, even Naomi Watts couldn't live up to the spectre of Lady Diana. And she's phenomenal. And she's Naomi Watts, for goodness sake. I know. So it's a lot of pressure here, and I'm sure Kristen is feeling it. We've got an image. Let's sit tight for the trailer, and then we will bring you our official position then. Now, Kevin Hart has signed on to star in a movie called Borderlands alongside Kate Blanchett. The movie is based on a popular video game set on a planet called Pandora, where characters search for a mysterious relic. Now, Kevin Hart is no stranger to video game movies, but this is going to be a very different vibe, I think. Well, a different vibe with the inclusion of Kate Blanchett, which excites me a lot. I love her in action. Give me all the Kate Blanchett action. I mean, in Thor... She was fantastic. I loved her in that. Oh, my God. I think I might have almost turned straight after seeing that movie with her. (laughs) With her greasy hair and her sallow eyes. (laughs) But then you've got Chris Hemsworth and I'm like, no, no, I'm definitely gay. It's fine. Uh, But then you cut to Kate Blanchett (laughs) and I'll be like, wait, am I? Oh, no, no. It's back to Chris Hemsworth. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) You're flipping faster than a fish pulled out of the water. (laughs) Look, sometimes you just got to read the room. Okay, so the one thing that jumps out at me here, and I may be reading into this too much, but this is my film nerd sort of thing, but Avatar takes place on a planet called Pandora. Mm. So will Mm. this confuse... You you noticed that one, did you? I did. Of course I noticed this one. And when we get Avatar 17, which is coming out in 35 years, you know, (laughs) (laughs) will... You know, will this just confuse the cinema landscape with another potentially big sci-fi action film set on a planet called Pandora? Will it blend the IP a little bit too much? But what do you reckon? Oh, I don't know. I think you're overthinking that one a little bit. Welcome to my life, Lee. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh dear, I think that's it for this week of Popcorn Podcast, Tim. I think we should end it there. What do you think? I agree. This week we reviewed an astonishing, very powerful and important Australian film, High Ground, which is in Australian cinemas now. We encourage you to go and see that and learn and listen. And the incredible summer of Aussie cinema continues with films like The Dry, Penguin Bloom and now High Ground. Get out there and support local cinema. Absolutely. And you can check out our reviews for all those listed films which are available now. Also, obviously, including High Ground, which is the episode you're currently listening to. (laughs) So thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Go check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you to listen to. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information. 